0: Good evening and and welcome to worship. We're continuing our series, Here We Stand. It's a 10-week confirmation refresher. You've heard us talk about this every week for the last six weeks now. And we're kind of cruising towards the end, but as we kind of launch in tonight, we're we're taking a, a look at this incredible gift we have, an incredible gift that a lot of us know about and a lot of us, if statistics are true, a lot of us have access to, way more access to than we would ever even imagine or be able to believe if research is correct and if statistics are correct, this is according to a research that was done about six years ago, the average American household has over six Bibles in it. The Bible is something that we sometimes we take for granted. You go to a hotel room, you open up the drawer, and somebody by the name of Gideon has put a Bible next to the bed. But the Bible is something we also, we often don't understand. What you saw in that intro clip was a great overview of, of what a gift the scriptures truly are. The Bible isn't just a book, the Bible is actually a collection. It's, it's a library of 66 books. The root word for the word Bible is the same root word we get for something called bibliography. And if you took uh, any type of English course in high school and you had to do an English a research paper, You hated the bibliography because the bibliography is what you had to put together when you were done doing all the research. And the bibliography was a list. It was a library. It was an account of all of the sources that you used, and you had to give credit to those sources. The Bible is a library of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, The Old Testament is the story from creation, very beginning, when God started to speak the world into motion, all the way to the prophets. The Old Testament is the stories that precede the life of of Jesus, the story of God with his creation, with his people, It's important to know a little bit about the Bible and a little bit about what the the books are because sometimes we read each book of the Bible the same way we read another book of the Bible and they're written differently. When we look at the 39 books of the Old Testament, just a quick overview so we know where we're starting. It starts with the first five books which are called the Torah. The uh, the, The Torah is God's law, the books of law. Story of Genesis, God with his people and then the relationship is fractured, it's severed. And then it's God's weaving throughout the way in which creation kind of falls, followed by the book of Exodus, where Moses, we talked about this last week, led the people, Israel the Israelites from slavery to freedom, and then God gives them a gift. And this gift is the law, not to impede life, but to give life, and then the Three books that follow Genesis and Exodus are, 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 story, are, are, are stories of God's law. Then they're, they're followed by these books of history. Following the books of history, the, the historical perspective of God with his people, what king did what, and what king did that, and what king did this. This, God did, or this king did what was pleasing in God's sight, this king didn't do what was pleasing in God's sight. And then we get to the poetry books, the hymn books. The Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, the poetic books of the Bible, and then the end of the Old Testament, we have the prophetic books, where God has spoken through the prophets to give a message of correction, but also a message of hope. We get to the New Testament, and these are the stories of Jesus. First four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are literally biographies. Stories that account for what happened while Jesus was walking the earth. Given through the lens of four different people who give accounts to that. Following the gospels, you have the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, what happened in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. Following the book of Acts, then we have a series of letters, most of which are written by a guy by the name of Paul, but also letters written by Peter, James. And then the final book of the New Testament is a book called Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature. You can't read apocalyptic literature the same way you read a letter, the same way you read history, the same way you read poetry. Each genre of literature is encased in this incredible gift that we have of the Bible. But the beautiful thing and the amazing thing from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end. One of the most popular, the most popular class when I was a student at seminary, the most popular class, and there was a waiting list to get into this class every single semester, was a class that was called Gen to Rev, they, talked, they called it. It was by a guy by the name of Craig Kester. And literally in one semester, you would study the thread that would weave in every single book between Genesis and Revelation because it's the story of God in our lives. Martin Luther, who is somebody we give credit to to starting the Reformation, that we celebrate the 500 years of the Reformation just here in a couple weeks, Martin Luther was somebody who experienced the power of God's word, God's gift to us. And Luther had encountered it, but Luther encountered it because he was somebody that was one of the elite. He was somebody who was educated. And the time in which Luther lived, the the Bible only existed for his people in 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 the Latin language. And Luther has an encounter with God as he's reading through the scriptures. He's found himself in a place of hopelessness, of despair. Luther's trying to figure out how on earth he experiences freedom and how on earth he can uh, atone for all of the sins that he knows that he has committed. The things that he's done, the things that he's left undone, the things that he's said, and the things that he's left unsaid. And Luther has gotten himself to a place where he's immersed himself into God's Word, into the Holy Scriptures, God's living and active Word. And he stumbles upon the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the people in a place called Galatia. And in it, Luther discovers the freedom of the gospel, the good news that's available for all people. So Luther takes it upon himself that this gift shouldn't be something that's reserved only for those who would be of the elect, of the elite. Those who could speak a certain language that you could only speak if you were privileged enough to be highly educated. And Luther starts to translate the Bible from Latin into the language of his people into German Luther says, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays a hold of me, grabs me, envelops me, comforts me, moves me. So that's great, Jeremy, that's great that Luther had that view of Scripture, it's great that you can give some of the nuts and bolts of Scripture, but the problem I have with the Bible It's a fair question. The problem I have is how can you prove that it's real, that it's reliable? How do I know that this isn't just some big Aesop's fables, something that's really more myth than reality? Because if we're going to be fair and if we're going to be honest, that's probably the biggest criticism that... We hear or that people will give when they talk about the reliability or the, the truth of the Bible. Here's what I'll say. The Bible in and of itself is probably the most highly scrutinized piece of literature that the world has ever known. The Bible has been studied, it has been picked apart, it has been pulled apart. And the Bible, from, from, from a non-Christian perspective, from, from, from a historical perspective, there's a science in how you study the reliability of an ancient source. It's called textual criticism. Look it up. It's fascinating. And the scholars will look at any piece of, of, of of work, of history that's been done and they'll, they'll put it through the same process, just textual criticism. And what it asks is when was the document written and when did we discover the first, the first evidence of it, the first copy of it, the first manuscript? How many years existed between the two? The more years that exist between when it was written and when it was discovered the larger chance there is that it's passed between so many hands that something could have been changed. The larger the gap, the less reliable the source. And then also, how many copies of that manuscript exist? And do they all say the same thing? And what I can tell you, what I can tell you is that the Bible stands head and shoulders above any other source from its time, way above. Head and shoulders, it's way more reliable than any of the other ancient documents that we have. The time that exists between when it was written and when it was discovered. And the incredible amounts of manuscripts that all say the same exact Thing that's one of the things that fascinates. If you fascinates me about it, if you were to open up your Bible right now, and if you're just to open it up, if you have it, you can open it up to any page. Pick a page. And if you were to look and you're to look at the bottom of that page, chances are you would see a lot of little writing at the bottom of the page. And any time from the original manuscript that a translator has changed even a single tense of a word they make note of it. So you can read in a a particular verse and you'll see a little letter at the end of a word and you can see the chapter and the verse that that came from. You can look at the bottom and it will tell you what change was made so that you know what the original manuscript said. Here at Lutheran Church of Hope, we use a new living translation. Incredibly popular yet reliable source. The most Popular English translations of the Bible are the NIT, NLV and the NIV. One of the things that we love about the NLT is from a gender perspective, it uses inclusive language. Throughout the, the letters of Paul that Paul is writing to people, he's often referring to brothers in Christ. It was a male-dominated society and we know that when he's saying brothers he means brothers and sisters but here's the awful thing about that period of time women were thought to be possessions of men so they wouldn't address them but we know that that's not right so the translators in the NLT will change the word from brothers to brothers and sisters but in the very the the notations at the bottom of the page it will say the change that was made that everything that's been changed is out in the open. It's been two years ago now that my wife and I were able to go over to the Holy Lands. We were able to to tour Israel for two weeks. It was a trip of a lifetime. And on one day, we were able to go and we were able to visit the Dead Sea, which was so crazy because the salt content in the Dead Sea is so great, it can't sustain life at all. It's also so great that it makes you buoyant. You float. So it's like, ha- it's like ritual that when people go and they visit the Dead Sea, they'll bring a newspaper out or they'll bring a magazine out and they'll lay back in the water and they'll read while they're floating. Everybody who was on the trip with me was embarrassed by me because I got out in the middle of the water. I'm like, hey, hey, look, I was laying like a plank board and I was floating. I couldn't believe it. I was hey, hey, hey. Everyone's like, who's that guy? And everyone from my group's like going, well, we don't know who that is. Especially my wife. Don't let me in with that guy. I've tried my whole life not to be that guy, but I was that guy. But right before we went to the Dead Sea, we went to a place called Qumran. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls before? It's fascinating. An incredible event in the reliability of Scripture. In 1947, out in this area called Qumran, right outside of where the Dead Sea is, There's a Bedouin, which is a shepherd. It's a a tribe of people in that area who live a nomadic life. And he was a shepherd. And as this Bedouin shepherd was out tending to his flock, there was a sheep that had gone astray because sheep do that. That's why Jesus uses the analogy all of the time about sheep because they tend to stray away. So this Bedouin shepherd, in order to scare the sheep back to the flock, he picks up a rock, he takes it, and he throws it beyond where the sheep is because they're also very skittish. And he knows that if he scares the sheep, the sheep's going to run back to the flock. So he throws the rock, it gets beyond to where the, 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 the sheep is, and when it lands, it doesn't make the same noise that a rock should make when it hits dry ground. Instead, it made like a tink sound, and so... The Bedouin shepherd wanted to discover what on earth did the rock hit? So he went into this cave, and in the cave he found a bunch of stone basins, stone jars. And inside those jars were scrolls, ancient scrolls that had been preserved centuries and centuries old. So archaeologists went and they went to go research what the scrolls said because there was a problem. Because those scrolls contained large portions of Scripture. And what would happen if somehow it said something different or contrary to what we read in the Bible today? It's a beautiful thing. Is it said the same exact thing? It's incredibly reliable. But more than just its reliability, it's its gift. Luther said this about the Bible. He talks to it and he refers to it as, as a manger or a cradle. So scripture is literally, it's the manger or the cradle in which the infant Jesus lies. But we got to be careful. Don't let us inspect the cradle and forget to worship the baby. Because scripture, God's word is living and active. And it's not what God wants for any of us. It's not what Luther experienced that brought him life just to memorize a bunch of scripture in order to know a bunch of scripture. But it was the God that that scripture pointed to and it was the fact that there was something alive and powerful about the word of God that the scriptures will tell us that when the word of God goes out, it never comes back empty. It never comes back void. It does something. It creates something. But there is a spirit that that is involved in the pages of Scripture and the words of God's story from beginning to end that reveal to us the God who gives us life and who gives us hope. We need that, don't we? We have a world that's changing all the time. And in the events, I mean if I think in in my own, in in our own, just communal life as people, the last two months, it's been nuts. I think about just in the last two months, just from the time in which my, my kids went to school until now, you think about the events that have happened in our world. We've had three different hurricanes and another one is on the horizon. We had the events of last Monday morning in Las Vegas. I mean, we need, we need something different, don't we? We had three different school districts in our communities that shut down because people were threatening the safety our kids. And there's a point and there's a reality that we can start to wonder: where does it end? When does it end, and how will it end? Where's the hope? Where's the where's the life? What where do we turn? Here's the gift. Here's the incredible gift of God's word to you and to me, to all people through the pages of the holy pages of the Bible. It's a never-changing word in an ever-changing world. Creates life. I remember when I was doing youth ministry, there was this trip that we would take every other year. This was back when I was living in Fargo. Every other year, we'd take a trip to Jamaica. And it was a highlight trip for a lot of our students. They would spend two years fundraising for the trip. We'd spend a week there. And there were six different areas that we would visit while we were in Jamaica. Six different mission kind of uh, projects that we were a part of. And one of them was in a community called COPS, not C-O-P-S, C O P S E. It was the name of this village, of this community. And the first time we went there, I was the site supervisor at this place because there was a place of safety that we went to. It's called the Cops Place of Safety. And it was a home that housed 72 boys from the ages of 5 to 17. Half of the kids that were there were there for care and protection, meaning something had happened or been done to them that they were removed from that situation and brought to this place of safety for their protection. The other half of the children that were there were there because of a delinquent act that they had done. So you had victims next to people who had caused the pain. So we went there, and I remember the first time we went there, I'll never forget it. We went there and we brought a whole bunch of stuff for the kids. We brought clothes, we brought shoes, most of them didn't have shoes, and so you'd give them a pair of shoes, they're fascinated by it. We brought candy, they wanted to see our watches, they wanted, just, they wanted to look through our digital cameras. This was long enough ago that we didn't use phones, we used digital cameras. Came right after film, before the phones, it was this weird period of time. So they'd want to look at themselves. They'd take a picture of themselves and they'd look at it because most of them hadn't even seen the reflection before. And so I went and I sat underneath this tree on this uh, concrete uh, kind of embankment. And I was sitting there and I was just watching because I was taking great joy in watching the kids from our youth group interact with the kids from this home. And this young Jamaican boy came and sat down next to me. Couldn't speak. Uh, They speak broken English. And so I held out a thing of bubbles to him. I thought, what kid doesn't like bubbles? He said, no, no. And out of his back pocket, he pulls out this little New Testament. That thing was tattered. It was torn up. And he puts the Bible in my hands and he opens it up and he says, Read, read. So I started to read to him, and I read, I read a page. I started, started at the beginning. I didn't know where else to start. Started at the beginning. Started in Matthew. Started to read. And I'm thinking, this kid is nine years old, or eight years old, or seven years old. I don't know. He's not going to want to hear. This is going to be so boring. And I would stop reading, and he'd say, read, read. We did that the second day. Got there and he, I sat in my place and he came and he sat down next to me again. By the third day he came and he sat in my lap. This was, this was my buddy. I remember talking to the group of leaders uh, that night and we were reflecting on the day's events and I remember talking about, to them about how many things that we take so for granted and we forget how powerful they are that this kid didn't have anything else in life. But there was one thing that he held on to that was so much more important to this young child than anything else that we could, there was nothing. See, there was nothing that we could bring him from our affluence, there was nothing we could bring him that could satisfy what he truly needed in his life. So he opens up God's word and he says just read, read it. There's a time in Mark's gospel, it's in Mark chapter 4, it, Jesus had just been baptized and it says that the, the spirit sends him out into the wilderness, into the de- desert and Jesus is there for, for 40 days and for 40 nights and it says that while Jesus is in the wilderness that that the devil tempts him in every way and every shape and every form. And there's a part in, in Jesus' wilderness experience where, where the devil comes up to him and He knows that Jesus is going to be incredibly hungry by this time. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, if you are who you say that you are, and if you are who I know that you are, pick up that stone. You have the power to turn that thing into bread. And you can satisfy your hunger. Jesus responds, he says, it's, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's an interesting tense in the Greek, verb tense in the Greek, the language in the New Testament. The present tense in the Greek is far different than the present tense in English. That word comes is in the present tense and it means continual action. Dr. Boyce was our Greek professor And whenever we would get to a present tense verb and we would have to be translating portions of the New Testament, and we would get to a present tense verb and we would translate it and he would say, and it comes, 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 and it comes. And he would literally keep doing that for about five minutes. And we would cry for him and say, Dr. Boy, stop. And he'd say, do you get it? It doesn't stop. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that continually comes from the mouth of God, that in the pages and in the miracle and the gift of scripture, God speaks. God speaks to your life. God speaks to my life and gives us a gift. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that it's in hearing the good news, it's in hearing God's word that it does something in our lives. It creates faith. It's in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. That faith is this gift that has been given to us that we can't muster up the strength to do on our own. And it's by grace you've been saved through faith that faith, your faith in Jesus Christ, it binds you to to the miracle of the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing, by hearing the good news about Jesus Christ proclaimed. Each day we have a daily Bible reading that we post on our Facebook and we post uh, through Twitter. For those of you who follow, you know that every day there's a daily Bible reading and I can't tell you how many times somebody will reach out to me, they'll send me an email or they'll even give the church a phone call and they'll say, how did you know that this was gonna happen? You picked the perfect verse for today and I'll tell them, We picked out those verses months ago. And it's not us being clever, picking the right verses. It's the spirit of God that's alive and active in the word of God that connects to our lives in a way that creates faith. You have an experience with God in the pages of his word. Paul writes to this young leader in the church, a guy by the name of Timothy. It's in his last few years of his life, Paul writes a letter to Timothy and he, he's telling Timothy that things are gonna change and these are Paul's parting words to this young leader in the church and he reminds Timothy, he says, Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from your childhood." And hold on to this, Timothy, because the world's going to change and things are going to get difficult and situations and scenarios are going to happen, Timothy, in your life that you are not prepared to. So don't forget what God's word promises you and don't forget the wisdom that it gives you that gives you the ability to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. gives you the knowledge that you know that God is for you. Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired it, in the Greek, the word is theonoustos. Theonoustos literally means, theos means God. Noustos is from the word pneuma, which means spirit. Paul says, Timothy, it's not the fact that you would memorize the Scripture, but you, you would know that, that Scripture has been inspired by God. It's, it's God-breathed, is what the word literally means, that the same Spirit that was breathed into the first human being, that brought that first human being from, from just being formed into being alive in Genesis chapter 2, that that same Spirit is involved in Scripture, that same spirit is, is the spirit that we encounter, the spirit of God that we encounter that doesn't come back empty, that creates faith in us. All scripture is inspired by God and it's, it's useful to teach us and to correct us and to guide us and to lead us and to equip us. As Paul will continue to say to Th- Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, to remind you, to remind us that we're not alone. There is a God who communicates and speaks to us and reminds us of the good news, of the promise that he has from us. From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible does nothing but tells us of the hope and the life and the love that comes to us from God. It's available. Psalm 119 Psalmist says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet, and it's a light for my path, that even when the thing, that world may seem dark, there would be a light that would guide, that would protect, like a lighthouse for a ship that's struggling to come home. It's the last day that we were in Jamaica when... I'd had my habit for four days of sitting with my new little friend. I came by this time, this was our fifth day reading together and we'd gotten through almost the entirety of the Gospels. I mean, this little guy had listened to me read, even though he could hardly understand it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. I was amazed by it. Every time I would quit when it was time for us to go back to the place where we were staying, he would hold on to my hand. and he'd say, don't go, please read. Never had an experience like this in my life. So we were getting ready to leave on on that Friday and I talked to the headmaster of the school and I, I pointed out the boy to him and I said, what do you know about that boy? I didn't even know his name. So what do you know about that boy? And he said, actually, we don't know anything about him said he came here to us about two months ago. So we don't know, he, he, he was taken in Kingston, which is an incredibly violent, crime riddled city in Jamaica. And he was found and he was all by himself. We don't know if he has, or where his parents are, if they're even alive. We don't know if he has any siblings. He was found and he had some, some shorts on and the only possession he had to his name was it's the Bible. Man. This is his only possession he had in the world. But could you think of something better? I mean, that was his hope. That was his life, he carried it with him. I mean, I don't know how long this young child was homeless. And he would take that thing out and he would page through it even though he couldn't read it because he knew that the story that that book contained was a story of life and a story of hope and a story that was for him. And it's for you. It's for you, it's God's word, it's God's life, it's God's promise for you. That you would encounter God as you read through his words and that you would hear the promise that he had for my little friend that I hope to God he still has today. Jesus gives this message in in Matthew chapter five, six and seven Jesus tells the people who could hear his voice, he says, those of you who, who hear my teaching, who listen to my word and put those things into your life, you're like a wise builder who builds their house on the solid rock, on a firm foundation that even when the storms rage and the winds come, because they do, they do, This one thing will remain. It always will remain. That God was the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever. A never-changing word in an ever-changing world that gives us salvation. The wisdom, as Paul says to Timothy. It's the one thing. It's a gift. It's God's word. Open it up. Read it. Hear how much your God loves you.